Um, can I, I'm feeling challenged, by the way. Can, can, I, next feel, <laughs> can I next introduce Ray Tallis? Uh, Professor Ray Tallis um, has been described as, by Keenan Malik to be one of the hidden treasures of British culture. He's a, he's a man on prospects list of the top 100 British intellectuals who has been named as one of the economist's top 20 polymaths in the world. He's legitimately identified as a retired professor of gerontology, a poet, and a philosopher. And his unstinting support for Medicine Unboxed breathes, breathes life into those of us who have been involved in this project. His personal humanity is betrayed by his Desert Island Discs Choice of Luxury, a video of the day in the life of his family. He's now going to hold our hand into the maze that I believe is the human brain. Uh, Sean, thank you for that lovely introduction. And Sam and the team, thank you for involving me again. This is my autumn fix. This is when the cognitive function is failing, you know, at the end of summer, and then we have medicine unboxed, and I feel restored. So thank you for having me again. It's been a very polyphonic morning, and as you can see, it's a, it's a polyphonic uh, gang we've got here uh, today, all of us talking about the theme, but from slightly different angles. And it's Sean, I'm sure, who's going to turn this polyphony into harmony in due course. <laughs> um, when I... When Sam asked me to speak on the bit of the programme called Sung Voice, my heart sank because, a bit like Sean, I'm not a performer of music, for which many people are extraordinarily grateful, and, uh, but I, for me, music is the greatest of all the arts. Those of us who are involved in writing and literature feel somewhat an inferiority complex towards music. As for singing, I can warn you, if you hear me singing, A, it means I'm drunk, and B, it means I'm going to be sick in half an hour's time. <laughs> And C, you may need to call for an ambulance. So that's the extent of my performance. And in fact, those robots of Eduardo's, which actually were singing in a Brazilian accent towards the end, or it seemed to me, those robots uh, would actually put me to shame. So I'm very glad I haven't got to perform. But what I do need is a knob to make my slides move forward. Now, I think as... Um, uh, search everybody on the way out. Yes. Oh, thank you. Lovely, lovely. Yeah. I press see what happens next. Good. I'm going to say a little bit about music as therapy and a little bit about music as a biologic phenomenon. Uh, I'm going to agree largely, I suspect, with Bob on music as therapy and probably disagree a little bit, at least, with Eduardo on music as a biological phenomenon. Um, I'm not going to do what um, Sean said I will do, either help you to understand the brain or indeed help you to understand music. And the, the reason for the second bit will actually come in one of the quotes I've got. But to give you my angle on music, let me give you some quotes. The first is from Friedrich Nietzsche. Someone once said, whatever your position you've got, there's always a Nietzsche quote to support it. But <laughs> basically, he said that without music, life would be a mistake. And that's only a slight exaggeration. More seriously, this is, many of you will be familiar with the terrifying story, Metamorphosis, by Franz Kafka. Man wakes up, he's turned into a beetle. And it's an extraordinarily harrowing tale. But towards the end of the day, he hears some music and he feels deeply moved by it. And he says himself very movingly, could he still be an animal when music so captivated him? And finally, the quote from Claude Lévi-Strauss from Locuit, which is one of his volumes of Structural Anthropology. Music, he says, is a language by whose means messages are elaborated that can be understood by the many but sent out only by the few. It unites the contradictory character of being at once intelligible and untranslatable. These facts make the creator of music a being like the gods and make music itself the supreme mystery of human knowledge, which is the reason why I don't think I'll be able to deliver on the promise that Sean made at the, <laughs> in the opening to the talk. 
Let me say a little bit. We're talking about medicine and music. Let me say a little bit about music as therapy. I've just stolen a quote from... There was a series of really super presentations yesterday by a quintet of students as a, as a, war, as, as a preliminary to Medicine Unboxed. And uh, one of... I enjoyed all of the presentations, but one particular essay uh, caught my attention by Helena Lee. I, should, I guess she's in the audience. Dementia, music, and loss of self. But here's a brilliant quote from Oliver Sacks. But to those who are lost in dementia, the situation regarding music is different. Music is no luxury to them, but a necessity, and can have power beyond anything to restore them to themselves and to others, at least for a while. And I'm sure this is something that Bob is going to be talking to us about in due course. It's however important we don't understand music in a narrowly uh, therapeutic sense. That would be to, forgive the pun, instrumentalize music. Music, it seems to me, like all art, is an end in itself. And it's not to be evaluated by some outcome. And I can understand, totally sympathise with music therapists who feel they have to demonstrate outcomes, like if you give people music, then they get out of hospital earlier, or the, you know, the cost to the exchequer are less, and so on and so forth. We have to play that game, but none of us should ever believe it. Music is ultimately <laughs> about joy. Thank you. Thank you. And as far as I'm concerned, the role of music in medicine is to bring delight to lives that sometimes may have little joy. And I know Bob is going to give some very moving examples to that. So that's a little bit on music as therapy. What about music as a biological phenomenon? Oops, a daisy. Ah, what have I done wrong? Just talk amongst yourselves a moment. Um, it's stuck. And the, oh, thank you. There's a notion that music exists because it serves a biological purpose. And there's a notion that our experience of music can be understood in biological or indeed neurobiological terms. And I want to take issue with both of those. What am, I, what am I doing wrong? Of course, we see something like music, analogous to music, throughout the animal kingdom. And this character is someone who brings pleasure to all of us, uh, you know, round about the spring and in the summer, the blackbird. But it would be a mistake to think of him as a musician. <coughs> Basically, producing those sounds is a biological imperative, which it isn't in us. Otherwise, I would have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> Basically, it's switched on automatically, and okay, it comes when I'm drunk, but not otherwise. And in the case of animals, there's no separation between the creation of music and the performance of it. There's no labor or learning of the craft of composition or performance. And of course, it's highly seasonal. They do it when they're told, and they don't, they don't do it when they're told not to. And it's subordinated to a particular function. So these are some absolutely fundamental differences between animal, inverted commas, music making and our non-inverted commas music making. People say, well, you know, male animals sing in order to attract females. But actually, if you look at how useful music is for sexual selection in humans, it's not much use. use. The love of the craft, as you can see with Edward, is the thing that drives his passion in relation to music. It has little adaptive value in terms of him spreading his genes and so on and so forth. And in fact, there are much, <laughs> at least as far as I know, uh, uh, sorry, yeah. yeah. You, you may want to correct that. But, there are, but uh, there are easier ways, basically, of spreading your genes. One is getting involved in fist fights, the other is making loads of money and becoming a banker and so on and so forth. And by the way, women are artists too. So the whole model of music, basically, as a means of uh, uh, driving sexual selection uh, is a load of. Uh, gonadal material. <laughs> I know. Oh, so. What is fundamental is that, and, and it's true of all the arts, but uh, to me, ultimately, music, is that it expresses several things about us that are utterly unique compared even with our nearest primate kin, 
our freedom, which we might want to discuss, our knowledge, our unique hungers, including the hunger to round off the sense of things for all sorts of reasons. In other words, the hunger to address the fact that we know that we're going to die after a life of finite duration uh, packed with incomplete meanings. Art is an expression of and a response to these things. None of these things that are true of blackbirds, um, whales, and so on and so forth. I don't mean the Welsh, I mean Wales with H. Yeah. <laughs> um, but people have believed that music can be understood biology, and they've taken their belief even further to suggest that there could be a discipline of neuroesthetics, where you can understand the creation of music or even the reception of music by peering inside people's brains. Well, I have to tell you, neuroesthetics combines crude neuroscience, and I speak as someone who's all of whose research is in neuroscience, with simplified uh, um, understanding of the arts. This is the kind of picture that makes the, you know, the, the punters drool. It's uh, a scan showing the bits of the brain that light up when you listen to music that causes shivers in your spine. And the bits of the brain that light up are the brain areas that are involved in reward and motivation, emotion and arousal, the, arousal, the so-called dopaminergic circuits. Robert, uh, Robert um, Latour and others who presented this work got very excited because these are the very areas that are active in response to other euphoria-inducing stimuli, such as food, sex, and drugs, such as cocaine. Well, I would have been bitterly disappointed if I discovered that because I would suddenly realize that a science that can't tell the difference between getting a hit of bark and getting a hit of cocaine, or between hearing the organ played and having your organs played with, <laughs> says, basically, says very little about either. I, I sort of get a feeling I'm, I'm, I'm getting through. But I mean, basically, Steven Pinker said essentially the arts are using biologically useful activities to biologically useless ends, a bit like masturbation, he said. So that was his. That's, that's why I've got the idea that Sir Matthew Passion is just a long communal handjob. I don't think it is, actually. Um, and I don't think that this character, Johann Sebastian Pornbaron, was actually the, the Hugh Hefner of the 18th century. And I want to end up with a quote from John Elliott Gardner's brilliant book. He was talking about it in Cheltenham a few weeks ago, Music in the Castle of Heaven, which is about Bach. But it is Bach making music in the Castle of Heaven who gives us the voice of God, and I can understand that in purely humanist, atheistic terms, in human form. He is the one who blazes a trail showing us how to overcome our imperfections through the perfection of his music to make divine things human and human things divine. So there you are, some thoughts about music as therapy and some thoughts about music as a biological phenomenon. Thank you.